Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is their polling guru, Jay Cost, who delves deep into the numbers and then comes out the other side covered in political muck. Jay, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Michael. So the numbers that have jumped out at me lately, obviously uh, Trump's winning everywhere. The media is making much of the fact that he seemed to get a small spike in the one poll that's been done that has the post-ban-all-Muslims comments. But it just keeps coming back to me, Jay, and so explain to me what I'm missing here. Trump's negatives are astonishing. Hillary being minus 14, uh, you know, approval to disapproval seems pretty bad. But Trump is minus 27 with 91%, I think it was, name ID. So everybody knows him, and by a 27-point margin, they don't like him. How is this guy, quote, winning the election? Well, I think that he's winning in, um, you know, the polls of the Republican Republican primaries because he's saying things that appeal to, you know, I would say some portion or quotient of the Republican primary electorate that, deeply alienates the rest of the country. Um, And that is a terrible strategy for winning a general election. You know, political parties win elections and govern effectively by finding points of of agreement between their own voters and the public at large. Uh, Trump is doing exactly the opposite. He's sort of driving a wedge between Republican primary voters and the broader population, which is a terrible strategy for winning a general election. Uh, and the Trump's people say doesn't matter. He's got all the energy. And if you look at every single poll, he's winning. But I keep looking at polls, Jay, that show that the candidate who struggles the most head to head against Hillary Clinton is Donald J. Trump. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and he is, you know, those are not the polls that they want to talk about. They want to talk about the primary polls. But even those have to be taken with, I mean, just a grain of salt is not going to do it. You need really a heaping tablespoon of salt. Um, you know, he's winning in some sense of the word, but he's also range-bound around 30, you know, 30%, depending upon the poll. He, uh, you know, um, he hasn't really exceeded that number in the real clear politics average of, of the polls. Um, so he is winning because the 70% of the Republican Party that no doubt knows who Donald Trump is but does not support him, uh, it, that's, that supermajority is scattered among you know a dozen other candidates. And so the real question is not whether or not he's winning right now, but as this field consolidates and the race becomes more you know a, a narrower contest, the question then will be whether or not he can win because he will not when a plurality of the Republican Party's delegates or Republican Party vote, if nationwide he he winds up at 30%, somebody will do better than him. Eventually the field will consolidate, you know, down to two choices or three at most four. Um, And, you know, and I think that what you see with Trump is this sort of continual sort of rather than, you know, endeavoring to expand his appeal – which is what a lot of candidates do. They start with a narrow appeal, and then they try to broaden it. Trump is actually working in the opposite direction, where he is eliciting greater and greater enthusiasm and affection from people who already supported him, uh, but more and more alienating other important voting blocks in society. Let me flip this to the other side, Jay Koss. We look at polls as a way to take the temperature of the candidacies, but isn't Donald Trump 
a way to take a temperature of the Republican primary electorate. And what does it say about Republican primary voters that in a state like South Carolina, 35 to 38 percent support Donald Trump, that across the country, uh, you know, between 25 and a third of the Republican primary voters support this guy. And we, we know the long litany of things he said, everything from a religious test for uh, you know, people come to the United States to insulting veterans, to insulting women. To, I mean, I don't even know where to, you know, you just, you name them, he's insulted them. What does that say about the voters themselves? I'm hesitant to read too much into it. I think that there is, I mean, if you follow the Trump supporters online, um, you know, if you're on Twitter and you look at the Trump people on Twitter, there is a real, uh, there's, I mean, it's not an undertone, it's an overtone of nativism and an undertone of racism from the online Trump people, um, the Trumpkins, as they're often right. referred to among anti-Trump conservatives. Uh, but I think it would be a mistake to generalize that to the broader, you know, 35 percent of the of the, you know, people in these respondents in these polls. Um, and the reason is, is that I, I, I people don't are not paying that kind of attention. Uh, certainly the Trumpkins on Twitter most assuredly are. And, you know, if you ever write something negative about Trump, you'll you'll get, a, you know, an earful from his supporters. Uh, but I, I really think it's we have to differentiate between the casual Trump fans or the casual Trump supporters and his diehard diehard fans. And, and I, I tend to think I don't know what the breakdown is. I don't know what percentage of his support is casual and what percent is diehard. I'm sure there's there's some quantum of it that's casual. And my you know, we'll see what that actually turns out to be. Uh, but my general sort of sense is um, that the casual Trump people like him for his tone and probably aren't paying enough attention to the process right now to really follow through on the implications of what he's actually saying and might not even know all the details. I mean, what percentage of this 35% doesn't know that he insulted uh, POWs a couple months ago? Right. I mean, you go online and you, you, you talk to the Trump people on Twitter and they'll be like, well, you know, they'll defend them. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll say something outrageous about POWs themselves. Those are the online diehard Trump supporters. But, you know, he's getting 35 percent in the, in the polls. And it's like, well, what percentage of that 35 or 30 percent are just people who, who are just sort of paying, you know, a, a very minimal amount of attention. And they turn on O'Reilly for, you know, 20 minutes while they're cleaning up after dinner and they hear something good about Trump or they're listening to Limbaugh for maybe 15 minutes in the mm-hmm. 12 o'clock hour while they're driving from A to B and they hear nice things about him. And then some pollster calls them up and they haven't really thought about it otherwise. And all they've heard is nice things about Trump. So they say Trump. Um, there's some co- portion of his support that is in that category. Well, let's talk then about the polls that, uh, that for the specific, specifically in the state of Iowa, where voters are going to have to actually show up and do something. How do you think right. Donald Trump is going to fare when it comes time to sit in a room and wait for people to talk for three hours before you stand in the corner to get counted? Right. Well, that's the big question, um, because I think that the more you pay attention to Trump, the less you like him, uh, at least among you know Republicans. I think putting aside the sort of nativist kind of element that is his diehard core, um, you know, people who don't have such sort of hardline views, I think the more they look at Trump, the less 
the less they like them. So it, it's interesting to me to see that polls, first of all, the polls are almost exclusively polls of registered voters, which is a very dangerous, can give you a very dangerous because it can give you a very incorrect impression of where the actual electorate is going to be. And that speaks directly to your point. When we're talking about the Iowa caucuses, this is, you know, a very intensive process that requires hours of commitment um, on a weekday in Iowa in the, in the dead of winter. It is not something where you just show up and you vote, which even in and of itself in primaries, you don't turn out in primaries is never that great. Mm -hmm. This is actually more intensive. Um, And I think that we should know by now that, you know, intensity in Iowa matters. It's, you know, Howard Dean's supporters in 2004, Howard Dean did very well in the polls and, and sort of had the media kind of lifting him up and pulling him along and getting a lot of casual support that just sort of fizzled in Iowa. Um, you know, you, you so, sort of saw the same thing um, f- with, with Hillary Clinton against Barack Obama in Iowa in 2008. It was Obama's supporters who were the most intensely committed to him. Mm. And, and, but let's also talk about the polls for a second, because when I see polls released within the same polling cycle, one that shows Rubio up by, excuse me, Cruz up by five over Donald Trump, and the other one showing Trump up by what, 13 or 14 at the yeah. same time? What, as, as a, a polling analyst guy, what does that tell you? That tells me the polls are not in the aggregate to be trusted. That tells me that the pollsters are sampling different electorates, that they're operating in different universes. You know, we give a statistical allowance to polls to disagree with each other. It's called the margin of error. But these, the, the, nature, the, the size of the divide, you know, there was a Monmouth poll out of Iowa uh, around the same time there was a CNN poll out of Iowa. The Monmouth poll showed um, Cruz up five, and the CNN poll showed Trump up, I think, in double digits. You can't reconcile those two by a reference to the margin of error. It tells me that they're sampling different electorates. And that is a crucially important point. And I would say it's not limited to Iowa either. Uh, There was a poll that came out um, by a firm called Adrian Gray Consulting. Adrian Gray used to work for the Bush administration. He's a political consultant, did a poll of uh, New Hampshire, where, you know, the media polls showed Trump out with a huge lead among registered voters. Adrian Gray sampled likely voters, and he sampled very likely voters, and he saw the race was actually a a toss-up between Rubio and Trump. So, and there's another factor at play in New Hampshire, which is that New Hampshire is an open primary, uh, so you can go, you can go in and you can vote for whomever you want, or you can vote in whichever primary you want. So the question is, to what extent will the Democratic primary draw people in versus the Republican primary? This was uh, debilitated Bill Bradley's uh, primary campaign in 2000 because sort of the anti-establishment independent vote didn't vote for Bradley on the Democratic side. They voted for John McCain on the Republican side. So that's another X factor. And just you add up all of these X factors uh, and you just, who knows? And I I think the more broader point that I would, this is, I think, a point to keep in mind more, more than anything else, is that these media polls are not designed. They're not designed to elicit or to, to figure out what is really happening. 
because polls like that cost a lot of money. Right. And media organizations do not have the kind of resources necessary to produce that kind of poll because those polls in turn get captured by the polling aggregators and just rolled into an average and you can hardly even get a news story out of it let alone a bunch of news stories which is how they used to be able to approach these the polls the polls are meant they only poll run these polls they're not doing a public service they're doing it to drive news coverage and they get less and less of a news bump out of their polls so they spend less and less money on them and when you cut corners on polling when you spend less money on polling what you're doing is you're just paradoxically what you do is you just sample more and more people uh, and you get more and more non-voters into your poll. And that's what they're all doing. I mean, it is really extraordinary, Michael, that we're about 50 days outside of the election, and they are still doing registered voter polls. Right. And that, I would just point out extraordinary. to and, and just point out to people that this is the kind of uh, weak polling of a small turnout election that embarrassed the polling industry in Kentucky. Exactly. It's not that they missed it by a point or two. It's that they were completely wrong. So I want to conclude with this. Is there a fundamental polling problem having to do with technology, phones, models, people using, et cetera? Or is this just a, a, the, the new normal of the new media mart in your world where media outlets don't have the money to dump in to do the kind of poll that a campaign would pay to do? And the polling numbers we get are just going to be generally less uh, uh, accurate until there's some significant change in technology in the future. Well, look, I think that there are pollsters, uh, I, I think it's primarily a media problem, and I think it's a cut-rate media problem. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen media outlet after media outlet cut corners in pretty obvious ways. If you know what to look for, it's pretty obvious that they're cutting corners. Uh, most of the major media outlets, in my opinion, have cut corners. Um, but, you know, there's, you can look at it. There's a handful of polls that are traditional polls that are pretty gosh darn good. Uh, Ann Seltzer's uh, poll that she does for the Des Moines Register uh, is a pretty good poll. Um, uh, the University of uh, the the Charles Franklin does a poll uh, for Marquette University's law school that it, you know, and he's a political scientist at the mm-hmm. University of Wisconsin at Madison. Uh, he's a smart guy. Uh, he's he's an even keel guy. He's 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 a, you know straight shooter if there ever was one. His poll of Wisconsin is a pretty good poll. He knows how to poll the state. Right. Um, and so I think that it's a testament to the fact that, you know, the, the, me, the media is really, they're only interested in polling these states to drive a news cycle or two. And to do that, they don't really need, they don't really need accurate polls. So I think that that is the primary problem. There, I mean, there are underlying problems with polling, decreasing response rates, the rise of, you know, cell phone usage and all this other stuff. But I think the main driver right now is just cheap media polls that are done on a cut-rate basis to drive a, drive a news cycle rather than divine at the underlying trend. And as a radio talk show host, I say, well, we're rolling in money, so I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, <laughs> Jay Koss, thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.